0: Good morning, how are you? Are you well? Yes. Welcome those of you online. We are glad that you are with us wherever you are. And uh, I just wanted to give you a couple of updates before I start today, a brand new series. One of those is we just sent a, a large check to Haiti through what's called AIDS, International Disaster Emergency Systems. And so I just want again, thank you for all that you've done financially. It allows us then to be able to contribute and make a difference with relief all over the world. So again, we just sent a check to Haiti, to an organization that we like and that we trust, and we want to make a difference. Many of you have asked me about the capital campaign. Is it still on? Yes, it's still on. I want to show you how much money has been raised during the pandemic. We're right now at 3. almost four million dollars as it has come in. That's great. That's incredible. And so yes, when this is over, we're going to have the same problem that we have now. Uh, we will have back-to- four services or five or whatever, and the, the building campaign is straight on. So if you'd like to contribute to that, we'd like for you to help us with that. Ask me any questions. We have full faith that we're going to be bursting at the seams in just a matter of time how's that for faith? That's right. All right. So what I want to do is I want to read this whole section of Scripture. And we're getting ready to start a series called Unlocked. And the reason we're calling this series Unlocked is this is a series about money. And this is a series that lots of stories from Jesus. And what I like about what Jesus did is He clearly spoke to the human condition. Now, I find this fascinating. Now, first of all, you've already got a feeling inside of your heart right now. You're either apathetic or you're amped up, one of those two. Or you're at peace. There's only three doors when it comes to money. You're apathetic, you're knotted up, or you're at peace, right? Look to your neighbor and say which one you are. Online, where are you at home, okay? Apathetic, knotted up, or you're at peace, What's fascinating about this is Jesus Christ talked more about money than any other subject in the Bible. There's about 500 verses on prayer. There's 2,352 verses on money. Jesus Christ talked more about money than he did heaven and hell combined. Of the 38 parables that Jesus taught, 16 of those parables are on, guess what? Are on money. If Jesus were your preacher, Every third Sunday, he would be preaching about stuff because he knows that's the condition of our heart. And so Jesus talks so clearly about debt, giving, generosity. He talks so clearly about investing, about saving, about hard work, about slothfulness. Jesus Christ talks more about the topic of money than any other topic. So if you're online and you want to follow along with us, we have an app, and the app has all the scripture verses. If you brought a Bible or on your phone, it's Luke chapter 12. I'm going to read these verses for us. Luke chapter 12. Here's our first story. Here's our first story in a series called Unlocked. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, man who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator between us. Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns. I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store all my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, what? You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Now, I want to talk about this story because what I find fascinating about this story is I find he does a whole lot of things more right than he does wrong. And we teach this story, we only focus on what the guy did wrong. God absolutely cares how you manage your money. God absolutely cares how you invest your time. God is intricately concerned about how hard you work and what you do every single day with the resources that you have, whether it's time, talent, or money. I've only heard this parable taught on what the guy did wrong. I find 14 things the guy did right. If you're a business leader, if you're a teacher, if you're a coach, if you're a parent, there are 14 things you want your children to get. There are 14 different things that you want to embrace. There are 14 different principles in this story that all of us need to emulate. Now, yes, he didn't do something right, and I'm coming to that. But he did 14 things exceptionally well that I've never heard anybody talk about before. And when I get done today, you might say, there's a reason nobody talks about that, all right? But I want to address this today because there are some incredible principles, again, as a manager, as a business owner as a leader of some organization, as a mom or a dad raising two homo sapiens at home, whatever you're doing, these are valuable principles for you to embrace and to understand. And so it's a a cool story. And the story just starts off in in verse 13. You're going, huh? He says in verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. You get the picture that Jesus is walking through the marketplace They know who Jesus is because he's taught so well before. And somebody says, hey, teacher, hey, rabbi, tell my brother to divide the inheritance. That's weird for us. We just go to court. They didn't go to court. They went to a rabbi. This makes perfect sense. And so they catch the rabbi in the middle of the marketplace and, and, and a brother says to this, so, so both brothers must be there. When you read this story, I see both brothers in the crowd. The one brother, that's the older brother, naturally got more of the inheritance. Again, maybe that's not fair. Maybe that's not our culture. But in their culture, the older brother always got two-thirds of the inheritance. And we, we glean from this story that the younger brother is the one with the, the complaint, And the younger brother is appealing to Jesus and saying, Jesus, tell my brother to just divide this sucker right in half, 50-50. They left a million dollars for us. I don't want him to get 750. I want 500. Let him have 500. Tell him to divide the inheritance in half. And Jesus is amazed by this. And he says in verse 14, he says, Well, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator between you? And Jesus is like, this isn't my problem. I'm not getting involved in these kinds of things. But he does. He just kind of wheels, just reels them right in. So fascinating how Jesus teaches. And then Jesus lays a principle. He says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed because a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Well, it kind of does in our culture, doesn't it? I mean, we really measure success by how many toys you have, or we really measure success by your square footage, or, and and Jesus says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. So we're going to come to that in just a minute. I want to encourage you. There are 14 things a guy did well. I think you need to do all 14 of these. I think all 14 of these, you and I need to embrace. And I don't think we ever see that in this story because we only get to the end of the story where Jesus calls him a fool and where he wasn't rich toward God and that's kind of where we land on the story. He did 14 things right. Let's see how many of these you're doing right. How many of these are you teaching to your kids? How many of these principles do you have embraced within your company? Number 1, he worked hard for many years. That's a good thing. This farmer got up, worked hard for many many years. He was a hard-working man. Number 2, he got up early and he plowed, and he tilled, and he planted, and he fertilized, and he harvested, and he he brought the crops to town. And so when it was time for harvest, this farmer wasn't lazy. This farmer wasn't at the bar. This farmer was working. Gets up early, goes to work, works his field. Number three, this farmer was so good, he studied weather patterns. He was probably very cautious and careful with his seed. He didn't take the seed and just put it out in the open. He probably hid it in the ground or hid it somewhere where it would stay dry. Number four, I think this farmer may have started small, may have had just a few acres, but he kept buying. He kept adding. He kept growing. He kept looking for opportunities. God wants you to be blessed. God wants you to grow. God wants you to look for opportunities. God wants you to expand your territory. That's not the problem. The problem is greed. The problem is when it's the abundance of possessions become your life. This guy grew and grew and grew and bought and bought and bought and one acre turned to 10, 10 acres turned into 100, 100 acres turned into 1,000, 1,000 turned into 10,000. Number five, he provided wealth for his family. There's absolutely nothing wrong with providing wealth for your family. That's what you're supposed to do. as as adults, we're supposed to provide well for our families. Look at verse 16. I love what verse 16 says. It says, then he told this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. The ground, the soil of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Well, let's look at some more things. Number, Number six, he's got good soil. Good soil doesn't just happen I was recently in Arcadia, Indiana. Anybody knows where Arcadia, Indiana is? A few of you do, all right. I was recently in Arcadia, Indiana, some of the most richest farm ground in in, in America, where literally the corn is about 29 feet tall. I mean, maybe that's an exaggeration, but the corn is at least eight to nine feet tall, and there's just beans everywhere. And I'm driving in the truck with my friend, and I'm asking him, saying, Are all the farmers, you know, like this? He said, no, 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 no. He said, some of them take care of their soil. I said, what do you you mean, take care of their soil? And he began to explain to me what happens after the season was over, what a lot of the farmers would do to ensure the next season's yield and harvest. Number seven, the guy's rich. Now, Now, why is that a good thing? Because having some means just simply means you have options. When you have no means, you have no options. And so the guy's got options. He can do good, he, he can do bad, but at least he's wealthy. Now let's talk about what rich is. The funny thing about rich is none of us in this room really feel rich because we always compare ourselves to somebody else. And so we always say, well, I'm not rich. Well, she's rich. Well, I'm not rich, but, but he's rich. And so no matter who you are, you always look to the right, and you never really feel rich when you compare yourself, you know, to Warren Buffett. I mean, none of us in the room are probably as rich as Warren Buffett. You know what rich just means? You have more than what you need. Every one of us probably in this room are rich. In the eyes of God, every single man, every single woman in this room, you're probably extremely rich. We are all rich and wealthy. What that means is we have options. Probably all of us in this room have dinner or breakfast options after the service is over. It's not an option of whether we will eat or not eat. It's an option of whether or where we'll eat and how much we'll eat. And will we we eat out and will we eat out well? Every one of us, I would say in this room, we are all rich. We all have more than what we need. We just, we just don't feel rich because we always compare ourselves to, to, to somebody else. We have more than what we could ever imagine. We have more than what we could ever consume. It's funny, a guy with three TVs says, well, I'm not rich because the other guy's got four TVs. I mean, it's just funny to me how we think about that. Number eight, he's got an abundant harvest. I think this is a good thing. When you work hard, you're rewarded for what you do. You're rewarded for the work of your hands. Maybe, maybe right now, maybe later, or maybe because you've worked so hard, you get recognized and you get a job promotion or a job transfer or some head hunter comes after you. He has an abundant harvest. You see, this guy does more things right than he does wrong. He's got so much going for him. He is so successful. He is doing extremely well. And look at verse 17. In verse 17, Jesus says, But he thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And we always take that as negative. We always, we always take this as the guy's just so self centered. He, he talks to himself. I think the guy's strategic. I think the guy's brilliant. He has a problem. He has too many crops. He doesn't have a place to store them. He's extremely strategic about his future this guy can provide generational wealth for his family for decades. He's strategic. He asks the right questions. What am I going to do? I don't have enough barn space for all the corn and beans and wheat that are coming in my direction. I think he's objective. He's realizing that he's got a situation that he has to make a decision about. Will I let the crops rot or will I actually get involved and engage and build bigger barns? Well, I can't really build bigger barns. I don't have any more acreage because the rest of my farm is all taken up with crops. So i got to tear down my barns. Oh, my gosh. I've I got to go through a year of building and construction and mess. The guy's objective about his life. Look at verse 18. He says, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. I've heard every sermon negative about this guy. I think the guy's brilliant. I think the guy's gifted. I think the guy's got a whole lot going for him. I think this guy has got more going for him than he could ever dream or imagine than most people have. He's he's he has an abundance mentality. He doesn't have a poverty mentality. He has an abundance mentality. He realizes that all these good things are coming to him. Number 13, he's willing to pay the price for success. Look at verse 19. This is the 14th one, then I'll get on to the real point of the story, you're wanting me to get to. You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Maybe that's even good. Now he can hang out with grandkids. Maybe he's not poured into his sons for years. Maybe the guy's a classic workaholic, but now he has options to pour into his family. Maybe his sons and daughters are too old, and he regrets the fact that he didn't spend enough time with them, but now he's got six or seven or eight or ten grandkids, and he's going to be strategic about, I can now take life easy, I can eat, I can drink, and I can be married. But in Jesus' parable, he's just reeling the crowd in. He's got two brothers Two brothers. One's greedy, the other's wanting to divide. He's got he's got a crowd of people trying to figure out this parable that he's teaching. He's just reeling the people in and they're listening. Here's where the music changes. Here's where the violins begin to play. Here's the shift in this narrative, in this story. It's in it's in verse 20. But God said to him, You fool. Oh, you fool! you fool. Oh my goodness. Can you imagine having God call you a fool? You're the biggest landowner. You're the biggest developer. You got more money. You got more crops. You got more barns. You just keep buying more acreage. Everybody looks up to you. Everybody sees you. You got the big house at the top of the hill. Everybody envies you. God says, you're a fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. And who will get what you've prepared for yourself? And then Jesus with the crowd, with the brothers, who started off with the question. The question was, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And, and verse 21 says, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for themselves, but is not rich. It's toward God. And so the story is always told. Missing the 14 things the guy did right. Because we can't get over the fact that no matter how successful, no matter how wealthy, no matter how much he had good soil, worked hard, no matter what he did, we, we, can't, we can't see past the fact that he missed it. He, he missed it. He had so much going for him. We, we, we can't see the 14 things that he did right. Right? So let's not miss the 14 things he did right. But let's also not miss the real point of Jesus' story. So why? Why is the guy so foolish? Well, let me give you a couple reasons. Number one, everyone only has one chance. Everyone only has one chance on this life to make a difference. You can't take it with you, but you sure can send it on ahead. You've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul, have you? You'll never see that. And this is why Jesus says that true wealth, true riches can't be taken with you, but you you can send them on ahead. There's another reason why this is so foolish. It's because really he he was blind and he was arrogant. There's a lot of blindness here. And I want you to see this. And if the Holy Spirit doesn't unveil this and unlock this in your heart right now, you're not going to see it. But there was not only blindness, there was incredible arrogance. You see, whatever the farmer had was borrowed. Everything you have is borrowed. Every opportunity you have was given to you. Everything in life has been borrowed. The farmer couldn't see it. He became incredibly successful. And I'm sure he thought, look at me, look how great I am. But the soil was borrowed. It was good soil. He didn't create the soil. Maybe he worked the soil, maybe he fertilized it, maybe he threw in compost. But but he didn't he didn't create the soil. He didn't create the sunshine. Without that process of photosynthesis, without all that going on, there's no germination of seeds. He didn't create the rain. If the rain didn't come, see everything the rich farmer had was borrowed. Well, no, he had a great mind. Well, who gave him a great mind? Well, he had a great work ethic. Well, who touched his central nervous system and gave him a type A personality to get up and work hard? Well, he had a strong back. He was very strong. Who gave him a a, a skeletal system and a a muscular system that was able to work from sunup to sundown? Everything he had, everything you have is borrowed. And it's just arrogance to really think that you're successful in and of yourself. I I could tell a whole story about all the people in my life who have contributed to some success in my life. And and, and you can too. You're no difference. So there's coming a day in this farmer's life where his money and his power and his skills won't be large enough for the greatest problem that he has. What will that problem be? A sick grandchild? A war? A drought? Someone betraying him, confiscating all of his money, taking his land. There's coming a day in this farmer's life where no matter how powerful he is, he will not have the ability to conquer a challenge that comes his way. I I think he's foolish for number three because he could have partnered with God and helped so many people, and, and yet he didn't. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 25 and 26 says, for without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? Here's a really cool verse, verse 26. To the person who pleases God, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. So how could this rich farmer have been rich toward God. How how could he have done this? How How can you learn today and go a different direction and have a different speed of life? Number one, you could just display a life of gratitude. God, I'm so thankful for the opportunities you've given me. I'm so thankful for my health. I'm so thankful for my wealth. I'm so thankful for the skills. I'm so thankful for my mind. Some of you are great with numbers. Some of you are great with organization. Some of you are great with this, this, and this. God, I'm just grateful. I, I think the guy could have been, instead of this, this hubris, he, he just could have been gra- a life of gratitude. This is a, Just a grateful life. If, if you really want to be rich toward God, It's a life of gratitude for all the incredible things that God has bestowed and what He's given unto you. Number two, I think he could have recognized God opens doors of opportunity. Maybe that's gratitude also. But but see, God's the one who opened up the land. He bought one acre, went to 10, went to 100, went to 1,000, went to 1,500. It's God who opens up the doors of opportunity. And, And He could have recognized that Man, God has given me all these opportunities for, for, for a reason. Number three, I, I don't think he sought heavenly wisdom. I, I don't. I think he was a good man, hard worker, got up early, tilled the soil, protected his seed. I think, he, I think he did a lot of things right. But can you imagine how successful he could have been had he had third heaven intelligence? Can you imagine what he'd been like if he got to that third ladder that we've talked about for weeks and weeks and weeks with spiritual intelligence? Can you imagine what your life would be like if tomorrow, before you ever get out of bed, you seek heavenly wisdom on your life? Game changer. Complete game changer. Number four, he just just could have partnered with God. He just could have partnered with Him. Before he hit the fields, he could have gone maybe to the fireplace and gone to the secret place. Maybe he was an early riser. Before he got up, went to the fields and went out to the animals. He'd just go to the fireplace and unroll some scrolls, some old Hebrew scrolls, and read the Psalms or read Isaiah. Just just, just got into the Word. And he goes out to the fields then with heavenly wisdom and strength. And, and now he's going to partner with God. Now he recognizes that all the things that he has are God's and God, what do you want and how can I make a difference and how can I contribute? See, I, I love the fact that this guy does 14 things well. I don't want you to miss that. Those 14 things are really good. But he missed the most important part of his life, which was eternity, which was life today, And life tomorrow and life forever with his incredible Heavenly Father. But you're here today and you want to be rich toward God, or you wouldn't be here today. You wouldn't be online right now. Stop folding the laundry, put the laundry down, and listen, okay? You're here because you want to be a part of this, it's preparation. It's all the things that we talk about. Worship, secret place, meeting place, partnering with God. We've told you some stories about our our wedding chapel and it's just incredible what keeps happening. I just want to give you snapshots from time to time. This so fits with our, our, our lesson today about being rich and being prepared and being prepared toward God. This past week, our pastor who's in charge of this now, Jeff Swanson, received this email. And the woman, uh, she and her fiancé are going to get married. She lives here. He's in the Middle East. He's in the Army. And she said, she emailed Jeff Swanson. She said, I was hoping to reach out to you to inquire about marriage mentoring for myself and for my fiancé. I'm not going to use their names. We're in a unique situation where he is currently deployed overseas in the Army. He's due to return home for mid-tour and leave in October. During his leave, we want to have a quick ceremony. Then we want to have a big wedding when he returns back in the fall of 2022. We would like to participate in the marriage mentoring program that our church offers. She comes here. I've never met him. Prior to our legal wedding, if it's at all possible. Let me know if this would be feasible. And if so, what the next steps would be. And then she mentions her fiancé's name. He's seven hours ahead in the Middle East. And I work evenings, so logistics of timing would require some proactive planning. <laughs> I'd say that's an understatement, wouldn't you? Well, um, Jeff reaches out to this young couple. Thanks for reaching out to be mentored. We are grateful for him, mentions his name, serving the Army and the role he has in serving our country as well as the sacrifice you make in supporting him during his deployment. Working on a mentor couple solution today. Let me, let me Jeff saying, let me work on this. I'm sending you a link today for the Prepare and Enrich. And every couple takes this test called Prepare and Enrich. It spits you out into 10 different categories. And we assess your skills with communication, with finances, with faith, with conflict. And then we're able to, the the marriage mentors are able to help you and work with you. Um, Just answer answer it. We'll send a link to him and hopefully it will work out if he has access to a computer. Within just a few minutes, the groom from Iraq responds. The story gets better. Thank you so much for your support. He mentions his fiance. We certainly have been, this has been crucial to our ability to be out there and to do my job daily. Thank you for being able to work with the solution so we can work together toward the start of our new future together as husband and wife. I look forward to completing the preparing and enrich Assessment when I receive it. Hopefully I'm able to access it on my mobile phone since I'm currently traveling in Iraq at the moment, so I'm away from a personal laptop. I picture him in a Humvee with a gun and, you know, jacket, I mean, a helmet. He says, we're truly grateful for this opportunity. We cannot thank you enough for being able to work with us to make this possible. And it all worked out. Within about two more hours, the whole thing worked out and we got them a marriage mentor couple. She's here in Safety Harbor. He's in the Middle East. That's a cool story. Because they recognize that being prepared for marriage is crucial. I wish this farmer would have realized that being rich toward God was crucial. I wish he would have realized that just as this couple is so diligent and so logistical problems that, that they're, they're passionate about, they see it. You got to see it. If you don't see it, you won't go to the secret place tomorrow morning. If you don't see it, you won't spend time in the Scriptures. If you don't see it, all of your money is for you. You're going to hoard it. You won't be generous. You won't be kind. You won't partner with God. If if you don't see it, life's going to be about you. And so it's preparation. It's preparation. So I told you I was in Cicero, Arcadia, Indiana a week, week ago. And I actually saw the largest privately-owned independent family farm in the United States. And it's in Arcadia, Indiana. And it's called the Beck, the Beck family. And it's a family. And Sonny and Glenda Beck are seed farmers. And they provide seed for probably half of the United States. And I met Sonny, and I met Glenda about three years ago uh, in the the Cayman Islands, of all places. They were there, and we were there, and we just happened to spend a couple of of days uh, together. You know what's encouraging about this farmer? They, They employ 650 people, biggest farm I've ever seen. It's massive. There's nothing there, and then there's this massive farm with 650 employees that provide seed corn for half the United States. But you know what's cool about this family? They love Jesus. They're looking for ways to contribute. If only every rich farmer could be like them. If only you and I could have a heart and a passion to partner with God. If we could recognize that every good and perfect gift comes from our Heavenly Father. You see, when Jesus says, Don't be deceived your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. It's a hard issue. It's always a hard issue. Money is just a tool. Money's just a test. And I've already written next Sunday's sermon. I'm going to talk about that next week. Let me not start preaching that sermon today, because I'm really excited about next week as well. But it's just a tool. It's always a test. And so the question this morning is, where's your heart? Where's your heart? And who has your heart? Who owns your heart? And again, I think that's why you're here. I think that's why you're here and you want to be a part of all this. If, if you got kids, go through the kids resource thing, man. It's, 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 it's top shelf this week. Uh, as adults, this could have been my sermon. So go through this if, you, if you've got go online, download it if you're not here physically. This continues the conversation with your kids. It's absolutely gold. But I want to pray for your heart right now. Will you stand with me? And I want to pray for our hearts. Heavenly Father, thank you for those 14 things that we can learn from this farmer on how to work and how to be productive and how to lean in and how to expand our territory and how to do a lot of things right and well. But oh God, may we not be like this farmer who was not rich with you. So help our hearts, mold our hearts. The wisest man in the world said above all else, guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life. Everything flows from our heart. So God, if we've been greedy, cleanse our hearts. If we've been slothful, cleanse our hearts. If we've been griping and complaining about all the things that we get to do, forgive us, forgive us for our, our mocking and our slothfulness and our complaining. And oh God, give us vision. and Give us insight into the opportunities that we have in front of us. And may we partner with you and may we be rich with you and towards you for all of eternity. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're just getting the party started. See you next week. Okay, bye-bye.